Good morning. My name is Raquel Kyle. I serve here at City Church on the Love Tulsa and the Micro Church teams. Um, and I will be starting off by reading us a scripture. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 15 this morning. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jumping down to verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not longer after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Raquel. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 give us the context for our entire story this morning. Jesus is gathering around the outsiders who are drawing near to him while the insiders are curious to why Jesus would hang out with such people. I love this story. Many of you know, if you've been around City Church very long, if I had one story to preach on in the entire Bible, it would be this one. The cheaters, the swindlers, the moral degenerates are sitting near to Jesus, and guess what? The religious people are ticked off. The religious people are amazed that Jesus would even interact with such people. Does he know who these people are? Why would he do this? Apparently he doesn't know who he's with, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. There's a tension that you and I have to wrestle with in life, and honestly, it's a difficult tension, and I feel like today many followers of Jesus are struggling with this tension. It's 
What does it mean to love people who believe and act different than us? See, I think Jesus practiced something that I would call transformational inclusion. It was this idea that I could love you where you're at without agreeing with what you believe or what you do. How many know that's a struggle sometimes? How many know Christians find that to be a struggle sometimes? He didn't necessarily practice affirmational inclusion. I don't have to affirm what you believe or how you live to love you where you're at. How do we redeem a world? How do we share the good news of the gospel if we're standing contradictory to somebody? Right? How do we love people where they are? See, this series that we're going to be in in the next few weeks is called Scandalous Grace. And it's called Scandalous Grace because what happens whenever grace is a free gift of God that's poured out on people who are undeserving is that religious people get ticked off. Religious people who have built their life on performance and works and all of the to-dos and the checklists, they get ticked off when grace becomes free. In fact, it's scandalous because it causes outrage among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who would look at Jesus and be like, how could you lavishly give them grace when look who they are and what they've done? Right? Now, the people in the Bible, in the New Testament, were ticked off with Jesus for a lot of different things. But we see them ticked off the most because of who he hung out with, who he surrounded himself with, who he decided to table fellowship with. Because it's one thing to hang out with someone, it's another thing to bring them around your table. So Jesus tells a story in response to this in Luke chapter 15 about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. What we'll really find out is about two lost sons. There's three uh, characters in this story we're going to look at this morning, the younger son, the prodigal, the older brother, and of course, the father. The younger son comes to the father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divides the estate between them. To ask for your share of the estate now was to like to wish your father was dead. I'm done here. I'm ready to move on, right? I, I don't want anything to do with this family. I want my piece of this and I want to go. Let me tell you, it was culturally appropriate for the father in that moment just to cast the son out and give him nothing. No, I'm not going to give you a thing to ask for your inheritance before it's time to give it to you. But the father doesn't do that. We learn something about the father here. The father could have driven the son away, but like a good father, he doesn't force the son to stay. Because how many know love can't be forced, can it? Love can't be coerced. That's why you and I have free will today, because the father allows us to choose him or to reject him. Why would the younger son choose to leave a home of the good father? Why would he choose to do this? And we don't exactly get this in scripture, so it, it kind of leaves it to our imagination of, of why. Maybe like a, a whole generation that's growing up right now, I mean, he just had a good old-fashioned case of FOMO, right? Just fear of missing out, which has crippled a generation, if you realize that, especially social media, I can't be content where I'm at now because I'm always thinking about where I want to be or what I should be or what I'm missing. So it's so hard to love the place that you're in. Maybe the younger son struggled with that. Maybe, you know what, he just needed to explore the world, a good old-fashioned case of wanderlust, right? I just got to go travel. I got to see things. I've been in this rural town far too long, right? <laughs> it's time to get out. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he thought there's something better out there, right? The grass is always greener. There's always something around the corner. I'm missing out on something where I'm at. Maybe it's just the lust of the flesh. He hears stories of what happens in certain cities, and he's like, I got, I got to go check that out, right? 
I don't know 2,000 years ago what uh, the city of Vegas was. Maybe it was something like that. But he hears stories and I, I just got to go see. Maybe I need to be free from all these moral constraints. I just can't do it anymore. There's so many rules. There's so many things that I have to abide by. I, I, I see this in young men and women who grow up in the church. Right? They don't really have uh, an abiding relationship with their heavenly father. And so they kind of have one foot in the church and one foot kind of on the outside of the church looking for an opportunity to get out, to go experience the world, to go find whatever they're looking for. Regardless of the motives of the younger son, here's what we know. He leaves the father's house. He steps away. He takes his share of the estate. He says, this is what I want. It's mine. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And he goes to a distant country and he squanders everything. He squanders what his father has spent a lifetime building, right? In just a few moments, in a few days, whatever it is, it's gone. And how many know that sin can be fun for a season, can it? I had people growing up, like Sunday school teachers and teachers would be like, sin is never fun. I just want to look at them like, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're doing it wrong. Because when you're in the middle of it sometimes, right, it seems fun. It seems enjoyable. This is what I need to find life. See, the problem is that when we try to drink from the wells of the world, we always end up thirstier than when we started. See, that's the problem is you and I are all, all of us are trying to drink from some well. That's just the reality of life. Like we are searching. That's why some people are like, I have to be in a relationship because that feeling you have whenever you're dating and the fuzzies and the warms and warm fuzzies and everything. And like, I, I want that feeling and I want the romance and I want to chase that. And then you get in a relationship and guess what? You find out that a relationship alone can't satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. So you need something else. You need something else to chase, and so you find an activity and you, where you go on a trip or you start something new and you need to get a new job. And so we're drinking from, well, some that are toxic and destructive and some that are, you know what, pretty, pretty, pretty relatively okay, but not the ultimate. That's the struggle in you and I face. That's the struggle the younger son faces is now not only is there this emptiness, this craving for more, it's like if you've ever been like dying of thirst, you need a drink so bad right now and someone hands you like a Coke. Yeah, I can drink it, and in the moment, it's going to feel like it quenches my thirst, but guess what? In the long run, it hurts you. Like you end up thirstier and more dehydrated than you were before. It's what we do when we search in the world for these wells to try to feed what is lacking in our soul. And here, the younger son squanders everything, and he's desperate alone. He's out feeding the pigs. Here's the line that Raquel read just a minute ago from Luke 15, he was hungry and no one gave him anything to eat. How many know this is the harsh reality of a world of what I call ungrace? How many know we live in a world of ungrace? Not of grace. It's like, oh, you missed your rent payment this week. That's okay. You know what? Maybe you get us next time. That's not how it works, is it? Oh, you're going through a really tough time. Yeah, it's still due or you're welcome to move out. It's a world of ungrace. And here he is feeding the pigs. He's alone, right? And here's a whole message talking about friends that you have who are only around you because you have similar activities and you've got money and he's spending all these things and then where are all those friends when you need them? They're gone, aren't they? And he's alone. He's isolated out in the middle of this field. What he thought would satisfy didn't satisfy. What does a world of ungrace look like if you're following along 
Love has limitations, right? Love only goes so far in our world that acceptance is conditional. I'll accept you up to a certain point, but then at some point, right? We've just got to draw the line. Grace only extends so far. That's what a world of ungrace says. That forgiveness is only possible up to a certain point. That rewards are determined by your behavior or performance. You do these things, you reap these rewards. You don't do these things, you don't get these things. That's how the world operates. And that's how the younger son sees the world. That's how you and I see the world mostly. And yet in this moment, the younger son remembers the goodness of his father, right? He begins to to reflect back on what he had. And sometimes maybe in this moment, he realizes just how great his father was. How good that he had it. I mean, I thought I was missing out on something, but now I look back and I realize what I had. And like most of us, the younger son can't comprehend a God of unconditional love. So what does he do? He devises this plan of restitution. He's, he's thinking, how do I get back into the house? I can't just walk back in because that would be inappropriate, right? That's just not how things work. And so I, I can't earn my way back in. And then what we get was what I believe may be the greatest picture in the entire Bible. And here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to get caught up in the story of Luke chapter 15. Don't think theologically. Don't kind of turn off your, your mind for a second. And I want you to imagine the heart of God in Luke 15. It's a beautiful picture. It says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. It didn't say he was a long way off and the father saw him and bitterness and resentment started to rise up again. Here comes that son of mine who wanted me dead. Nope. It doesn't say that he was torn inside. Imagine the picture, if you will, in your head that in this moment, what happens is that the father in this story gets caught up in the moment. Because how many know that's what love does? Love gets caught up in the moment. Love's not thinking what's socially and culturally appropriate. And so this is in the, in, in the Bible, this is the phrase, it's a weird phrase, gird your loins, Right? But think a wealthy Middle Eastern patriarch, literally flowing robes is what a, what a wealthy man would, would wear. And he's picking up his robes as he looks in the distance and he sees the silhouette of what he believes to be his son and he gets lost in the moment. I love this picture of God. I love thinking that God gets caught up in the moment for me. Amen? That God's not thinking what's appropriate that all he thinks of is, my son is gone, my son is coming home. And love moves us to do undignified things. It, it moves us beyond what is appropriate. If you don't believe me that this is what love does, go to a sporting event of a young child and watch the parents. <laughs> my wife is very laid back down here. I was on the front row right now. But when our kids do something great in a sporting event, she transforms. And I'm like, can you keep it down, lady? You know, like, just move, move my seat over a little bit. Because that's what you do, right, with your kids. Like, you get caught up in the moment. I don't, I don't really care who's looking, who's around. This is my child. I love them. And I love to see them succeed. I love to see them come home. And the father gets caught up in the moment for us. And he begins to run after his son. And he doesn't wait for an apology. 
or to hear what the son has to say. You know why he doesn't wait? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is my son's home. That you can't and won't earn your way back into this house. Think about that. Bring the best robe. Cover my son's nakedness. You know what else the father was covering? All of his shame. And now we know there was a lot of shame. Can you imagine the shame? See, a lot of us live with that shame. A constant thinking of, I'm not good enough. Look what I've done. I can't go back and change that. And so we timidly walk into church or the presence of God or our relationship with God thinking there's no way that he can just welcome me. He just, look what I did. Look what I've done. The father says, bring him a ring. You know what was on the ring? The family seal. A sign, a symbol that you're not a servant. You're not going to work your way back into this home. You were a son. You are a son. You'll always be a son. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We're about to have a party. See, the restoration was instantaneous. It wasn't based on what he did. This is why grace is scandalous, isn't it? This is why grace is so far hard for us to comprehend. This is why it ticks off religious people. This is what makes it an outrage to the general public because they look and be like, how do you just allow him to come back home? Right? But God's grace is lavish. It's over the top. It defies what we can comprehend or what we deserve. And in the moment that the son comes back home, guess what? His relationship with the father is restored instantaneously. Remember Luke chapter 15, one through two. Jesus, you eat with sinners. What is Jesus saying by this story? I, I don't just eat with them. This is why I came, right? It's not a healthy, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have come to restore prodigals and bring them home, amen? It's what I do, it's who I am. It's the heart and the character and the nature of God. Which brings us to character number two, the older brother. And I bet in this story, you're, you're maybe going to see yourself in, in some in both of them and some more than others. See, the brother comes back home from the fields. There's a party. What in the world is going on? See, the older brother is intensely loyal and hardworking. He's never left the house like his brother. He's never wasted the family estate. He comes back from working the fields and there's a party. Who's the party for? Oh, your younger son, or your younger brother, excuse me, come home. And your dad threw a party for him. Now I want you to for a minute, put yourself in the older brother's shoes. Because I understand why he's ticked off. Oh, you're talking about the, my younger brother who just took of half of what we had earned and, and went and spent it on prostitutes? That guy? The guy that when he left, I had to pick up his shift as well? And pulled double duty because he just wanted to go have a great time. That guy's come home and we are throwing a party for him. I'm not so sure about that, right? I don't know about you, but that may have been my natural response. And again, this is where grace becomes scandalous. It becomes outrageous when moral, loyal, rule-following people cannot comprehend the extent of God's love. This is when it becomes hard. Look what the older brother says. Father, I've slaved for you. 
You know what that translation is? Have you seen how hard I've worked? Have you seen all how, how hard I've worked for you? Father, I've never disobeyed you, he says. Translation is this. Father, have you seen how all of my life aligns with your values and your precepts and your laws? Like I do all the things. I check all the boxes. Father, I've done everything right. I mean, this is the rule-following perfectionist. This is the kid who you grew up in that class with this kid when he had like 100% grade, and yet he still did the extra credit because he wanted 103. You know that kid? Yeah, we all hate that kid. You're taking the test, and they're done in like 12 minutes and turn it in, and you're like, how in the world did you finish that fast? You know what I'm talking about? We, we, we know those people. They miss something and like they start arguing with the teacher. They're like, why they're right? Like, they didn't really miss it. I mean, come on. I got to be honest with you. That was me growing up. All those people, that was me. I was that kid. I know it. I hate them. I hate myself. The perfectionist that I'm going to beat you. But I can understand why the older brother was ticked. I get it. Grace can do that. It's outrageous. See, you can escape God in several ways, and here's what's difficult for us to understand. You can escape God by breaking every rule, the rebellion, and by keeping every rule if it leads to self-righteousness and pride. And that's what's difficult to see because our heart becomes hardened. I gotta be honest with you, I've never actually said this from stage. I think it's easier for someone who is rebellious to come home than someone who is hard-hearted and pride to come back to the Father. I think it's so difficult for older brothers. You know why? Because the older brothers don't see it. Younger prodigals, yeah, I understand my rebellion and how it separated me from God, but older brothers, I've been pretty darn good. I mean, if we want to start comparing resumes, spiritual resumes, I think mine holds up against about anybody. Chair number one, characterized by the younger, the younger son. Characterized by self-discovery and independence. What was the sin of the younger son? Rebellion, open rebellion. Rebellion against the father. In this story, it's representative of the sinners and the tax collectors. But like I said, prodigals are very aware of their sin and their need to be rescued. What's difficult is chair number two, the older brother, who in this moment when the feast is happening, guess what? He can't go in. Sorry, dad. I can't go in. They're characterized by moral conformity. Their sin is this hidden superiority and pride. And in the story, you've already guessed it, they represent the Pharisees and the religious leaders who often fail to understand their need for a savior. And let me tell you this morning, when you don't receive the Father's love, you won't be able to give the Father's love. When the Father's love hasn't consumed your heart and consumed your life, you won't understand why God throws parties for prodigals. You won't. Because it'll be a comparison game. Who's better? Why, why is he getting this and I'm not getting this? You know what the older brother should have done? Is he, if he was living in the love of his father, he should have rejoiced that his brother had come home. 
His life should have turned around and said, you know what? Not only do I want my younger brother to come home, but I want all prodigals to return home because that's what my calling in life. When you're living out of the love of the Father, you look and your life is a life of grace because you realize what you've been given, amen? But when you're not living in the love of the Father like the older brother, you look at other people and you don't, you, you under, you don't understand why God would do that. And they don't deserve that. You're right, but neither do you. The older brother's problems, if you're taking notes, there is a radical insecurity that comes from basing your identity on achievement and performance rather than the love of the Father. A radical insecurity. I gotta be honest with you, I have had a few prodigal moments in my life, but I grew up in the church. I've never had extensive time where I've rebelled against the Father openly, and so I, I relate more with the older brother in this story. I can relate with the older brother. An understanding of, man, I checked a lot of the boxes. But how many know it creates an insecurity because it doesn't matter how good you are, you're never good enough, are you? You can never meet all the criteria or check all the boxes. That's why we come to Christ and are made righteous through faith. And what happens in the story is you end up like Martha in the Mary and Martha story. Anybody remember that? You're working for Jesus, but you're as bitter as H-E double hockey sticks. I should have went ahead and just said it to tick off the religious people in the room who are going to email me later. I know who you are. I always tell you my email address, Matt, at I don't give a rip.com. Just send me an email. Let me know your comments. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. You're bitter. It's the same thing Martha did. Is anybody see me in the kitchen? Everything I'm doing here, I'm literally slaving in here. Mary, you're just sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is what develops in your life. This is what pride develops, right? Comparison game, a deep insecurity. You're burned out. You've been working so hard for the Father, but you're not in relationship and actually in love with the Father. And I can't help but think that we're living in a world where people are trying to give what they don't have. Why isn't the church loving in a time to other people? Because they are literally don't have the love of God flowing out of them. And how do I give that to a world that's different than me? I don't. My love comes across as bitterness and resentment and cynicism instead. See, the table in the New Testament, in most of Scripture, the table represents the eternal feast of the Father. Like that was the best representation they had in the first century of heaven. Like God's trying to give them tangible things that they can kind of grab onto of like, can you imagine how good heaven's gonna be? Like most of us can't. Like we think of ourselves like floating around as like angels in our underwear. Come on now, that looks like hell. <laughs> like, like precious moments dolls with little wings. No, thank you, I'm out. I don't wanna see any of you in your underwear, even in your glorified bodies, you know? <laughs> Sorry, love you. She says, no, there's a feast. You ever been to a wedding reception? And it's like, there's just endless food and drink and people are dancing and there's joy. That's the best I can give you. And in the first century, these wedding receptions would go on for days and everybody would look forward to them and it, it would shut everything down. And it was the only time in their life that things were like lavish. Like there was, the wine didn't run out, right? Because Jesus would fill up the jars again. And she says, that's what I'm inviting you to. 
In Luke 15, this is actually what this is a picture of, the eternal feast of the Father. You know what's so crazy about this story? The bad son enters the feast while the good son does not. This image of a table and chairs is something that Tim Keller gives in his book called The Prodigal God, and it is a fantastic book if you want to dive deeper into this. The lover of prostitutes is saved while the man of morality is lost. How's that for a story for you? Can you imagine as Jesus is telling this story among the sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, there is an audible gasp in the room from the Pharisees and teachers of the law when he gets to this part. Because what is Jesus doing? He's dismantling everything they've built their life and their faith upon in this story. You want to know why they crucified him? Because Jesus ticked them off. No, you tithe on everything. You cross all your T's and dot all your I's. You don't leave anything undone, but there's not love in your heart. All your motives are off. You're doing it for yourself and so that people will see you in self-righteousness, but it should drive you to your knees, not to the street corners where people see you. And in Luke 15, this is how the story ends. I read this story a thousand times and I never just realized at the end of the story, the prodigal son is home at the feast and here's the older brother with an invitation to come and enter the feast. But guess what? In the story, we never know if the older brother responds or not. It just ends with an invitation. And I can't speak for you this morning, but I've been both sons, both brothers in this story. I can see myself in both of them. And whether you are a younger son or an older brother this morning, the father is inviting you to his feast. But the truth of it is this, for both the older brother and the younger son, you only come to the table through grace, amen? It's the only thing that brings us there. That's why every week as we gather around our table and take communion together, we remind ourselves we're in this room because of grace. Through the work of the gospel, regardless of your political affiliation or your socioeconomic status or what you do for a living or where you live, we are all in this room because we realize we are dead in our sin and we are alive through the work of Jesus, amen? It's through grace, through the grace of God. Would you stand to your feet with me across this room? If you have your communion, we're gonna take in just a few minutes. You can begin to prepare. I want you to do this with me, if you will, just for a, a few minutes. Just close your eyes where you're at. We always want to give space for the Holy Spirit to make the Word of God alive in our hearts. I don't transform you. I don't change anything. It is the work of God through His Word. So we ask Holy Spirit this morning that you would speak to our hearts through this passage in Luke 15, through the life of Jesus, through the words of Jesus, through this story, Father. 
If you're a prodigal in this room this morning, I want you to imagine for a minute the Heavenly Father getting caught up in the moment for you. With all your baggage and all your shame and your past and your condemnation, the Heavenly Father starts sprinting down the road in your direction. And you might feel unworthy. And guess what? He takes his big old robe and he throws it around and he covers your nakedness and shame. And he says, my son, my daughter, welcome home, welcome home. To the older brothers in the room, let me just tell you, it's not good enough that you attend church, that you're a nice person and that you do some good things. You need the the grace and the love of the Father to overwhelm your heart this morning. Where instead of looking at the prodigals and the others and shaming them or just rejecting them, that you have a love to them because you realize what the Father has done for you. So older brothers in the room, and I'm gonna ask that you would humble yourself before the Lord this morning. Acknowledge your need for a savior and come home to the table where the father meets you. You remember what the father says to the older brother? And everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. You've never left. Rest in it, live in it, and live in my love for you. Father, we just thank you this morning for grace. Lavish, undeserved grace. God, our need for you, Father, that humbles us. That your love would overwhelm us this morning. God, I pray for that person this morning in this room. Maybe they're watching, listening. It's been a long time since the love of God has broken through the hardness around their hearts. God, would you break in today? God, shatter what's been built up around them, God. The resentment and the cynicism and the bitterness and people who have failed them and let them down, Father, break through it. Break through it. Christians who have said one thing and done another, God, break through that, Father. Break through it today, Father. Some older brothers would experience the love of the Father this morning, I pray. God, I thank you for that. Jesus, as we gather around your table this morning, as we enter into this time of feast as a community of faith, God, we just recognize our need for a savior. God, we're lost without you. We need you, Jesus. Come and make us one body through your, through your body, through your blood, through the work that you've done for us. We give this to you. the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, every time you do this, remember me, that I was broken so that you would be made whole. Let's take the body of Christ together this morning. for our forgiveness that one day when you and I stand before the creator of the universe he will not see our sin and our shame but he will see the blood of Jesus our sacrifice let's take this morning amen right where you're at would you take the next 30 seconds 
and allow thankfulness and gratitude to flow from your heart. The response to the gospel is always worship and gratitude. We thank you today, Jesus, that you have rescued us, that you have set us free. God, we thank you that we can come back home, that everything that you have is ours, Father. God, would we go from this place and would we overflow love to a hurting world of ungrace? Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us overflow this into the world around us, Father. Your scandalous, your scandalous grace, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Awesome. We're gonna continue this series uh, next week. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, let me remind you, I'd love to meet you in the welcome rooms. Just Lindsay and I, just 30 seconds of your time. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come down. And maybe God's doing something in your heart this morning. Maybe you have a need in your body or something in your life for you or for someone else. Please don't leave this morning until you just stop and pray with somebody who just wants to agree with you. We believe uh, in the power of prayer. And like Tabby said earlier, how many know it's an exciting time around here of what we believe that God's going to do. This building right down the street from, from us um, is not about brick and mortar and walls. It is about what God is going to do through it, amen? We believe God's gonna reach a lot of people and help restore our city through that place. And so begin to prepare yourself, begin to pray for it. Uh, man, you who are serving on those teams, thank you for what you're doing. We're excited about it. We're gonna keep you updated uh, about what God's doing. So I'll begin with our mission statement. We're gonna go live it out this week, wherever you are, be the gospel. God bless you.